Otherwise, why don't we give it up for Pastor Greg as he comes on up. And uh, before I fully hand it off, um, he'll, he'll probably talk about this too, but in the foyer, you may or may not have walked past it on your way in. Uh, he is a, also a published author, and his book is absolutely incredible. I, I breezed through it because I just loved it that much. And if you're somebody who just wants to go deeper in your faith and your journey, I highly encourage you to check this out uh, this Christmas season. So. All right, thank you. Hey, for Jesus to raise the dead requires no more effort than for you or me to wake a child from a nap. We shouldn't be surprised when Jesus does the supernatural. What is amazing to us is simply natural for him. Shouldn't we expect God to do God-sized things? Amen? How many of you know the story of Jairus and his 12-year-old daughter? It's in Mark chapter 5 is one of the places that it's found. And Jairus had, had a daughter that he loved. I mean, hey, he, I don't know if he had five, uh, but this one was sick. And when he heard that Jesus had come back to Capernaum, he left home, went to the other side of town and found Jesus and said, Lord, would you come and heal my daughter I've done everything I know to do. Jesus agrees to go and touch his daughter and make her whole. And while they are on their way across town, the mob, <laughs> the crowd, all stops because Jesus says, Who touched me? And as Jesus deals with this intermittent miracle of a woman who had been suffering for 12 years, uh, if you're wondering why 12 years, the woman with the issue of blood had been sick for too long and couldn't find a cure. And the little girl who was only 12 years old, she died too soon. Because while Jesus is dealing with the woman with the issue of blood and the crowd that's in amazement of what happened, a messenger comes from Jairus' home and says, don't bother the teacher anymore because your child has died. But Jesus overhears that conversation and he catches Jairus' eye and says, don't be afraid, just believe. And so Jesus leaves his disciples with the crowd, the majority of them. He takes Peter and John along with Jairus and makes their way back to his home. And uh, as they maybe came over the hillside or came around the corner, Jairus' fears were realized because a throng of grievers were there at his home. Jesus says, what are you all doing here? Well, we've come to support this family in their time of need because this child is dead. And Jesus had the audacity to say, she is not dead, she's just asleep. Come on, Jesus. How many of you have looked death in the face and you recognize the difference between a little 12-year-old girl that is dead and one that's just sleeping? Jesus, you have lost touch with reality. We know the face of death. But Jesus tells the crowd she's just asleep. He takes his two disciples, Jairus and the little girl's mother and goes into her room and he takes her by the hand and he says, Tabitha kum, little girl, 
arise. And how many of you know what happened next? It, it didn't take a long time because as we would wake a child from a nap, this little girl woke up from a death slumber, got up and began running around the room, and Jesus said, now give her something to eat. Jesus will take what is dead and make it alive. The church today suffers from a dead faith pandemic that crosses all denominational boundaries, that impacts every one of us, and it is more deadly than any pandemic of a virus that, have, that we've ever experienced in our lives. Dead faith, lifeless religion, is killing us all. But so many of us aren't aware of that. But Jesus will take what lies dead and cold and the grave, and he will speak ecclesia cum, church arise, and there will be the breath of life that will be restored in a moment when we look to Jesus. I love how the Lord puts things together. That you have already prophetically sung the words of this message. <laughs> because we're going to look at three generations. Three generations that illustrate faith in our lives. We're, we've got a generation, number one, that lives with resurrected faith. We have generation, number two, that lives in dead faith. And generation, number three, that has no faith. But you've already sung that he reigns over all these generations. And we will praise the one who <laughs> raised the dead and gave us life. Come on now, you, you've already sung the words. You all, you all could preach this message, okay? But we're going to look at these, these together. In my new book that uh, you can find out there, this is your opportunity to uh, legally use your cell phone in church, okay? You have my permission to pull out your cell phone. Uh, this is like my launch day for this new book, okay? And so uh, I'm excited that it, uh, it, it was ready for you all today. And so you can scan the QR code that is uh, up there on the screen. It will take you to a page that you can uh, join uh, my newsletter and give you the opportunity to purchase a copy of the book. Uh, and all I ask is that you would make the promise to leave a review. That is like, that will be better than Hershey Kisses, okay? Um, and I really like Hershey Kisses. <laughs> can you tell? Um, share the love. Uh, and so I'm, ho I, I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you this morning. I'm hoping for at least 25 people today who will make that promise to say, yes, I will do a review of your new book uh, so that Amazon realizes, hey, this book has some uh, traction and we got to share it with other people because, because Amazon's God is money, okay? And so if they see that people are willing to buy this little book, they'll put it out there for other people to buy. But if nobody buys it, they're going to put their efforts elsewhere where, uh, okay, enough on marketing, okay? But I say in my new book that dead faith, again, dead faith that impacts the church, that crosses denominational boundaries, that is, believe it or not, present in Kinsman this morning. Dead faith 
distorts your thinking, betraying you to enjoy the good life, all the while leading you step by step to a fatal destination. The problem of dead faith has been around for a long time. Look at your neighbor and say it's been here a long time. This is not anything new. Jude wrote about the pandemic of dead faith. This is my heart's cry. This is my passion. You can blame it on Pastor Mark, okay? Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude gives us the cure. The cure for a dead faith generation, the cure for a no faith generation is that there would be a generation with resurrected faith that will contend for the faith, that will join in the fight for the faith, that will recognize we are in an ongoing struggle, a battle that is a matter of life and death for eternity. We need to contend for the faith. But if we're going to contend for the faith, we have to be sure that we are contending for the right thing. When we think about faith, we think most often of faith in terms of a noun. Nouns are like these chairs. It is a person, place, or a thing, and we act upon things. I can act upon this thing and I can sit in it and I can take, take care, but I could also, in a fit of anger and rage, throw it across the room and throw a temper tantrum acting upon that chair. Same chair, but I choose how I act on it because it's a noun. It is powerless to do anything. And all too often we only think of faith in terms of a noun, something that we act upon or act in. But we need a paradigm shift of thinking so that we realize faith is a verb. Look at your neighbor and tell them faith is a verb. Faith is a verb, not something that you do, but it is something that is active and working alive in you. We see this in, you know, God knew what he was doing when he said, I'm going to use Greek and Hebrew to write the Bible. The first time that the word faith shows up in our, in our Bibles is in Genesis chapter 12 when God says, uh, or when, when it says that Abram believed the Lord and the Lord, he credited it to him as righteousness. That verb, he believed, actually comes from the root word, uh, the meaning of this word. It's translated in all kinds of ways in the Old Testament. You see faith and you don't even know it's faith because its root comes from to support Abram's support of the Lord was credited to him as righteousness. But again, we know that we are not saved by any works. It was not that a weak man somehow supported an omnipotent, all-powerful God. God didn't need Abram's help. Instead, faith was active in the heart and the life of Abram so that he lived what he believed, that for 25 years he continued to walk in faith, believing that the promise God gave to him for a son would be realized. Abraham was not perfect, but he walked in faith because God supported him. God upheld him. God made it alive. In the New Testament, faith 
the synonyms that are often translated faith and believe come from the root word that means to persuade. And so when you have faith within you, it is the activity of the Holy Spirit so that you are supported and convinced that you are persuaded. How many of you know nobody is going to convince you that Jesus did not die for your sins? If you believe that, if you have faith that you have been forgiven because of what Jesus did for you, there is nothing no one can say to you to change that because you've been convinced by a power that is far greater than any man. You know that you know that you know that Jesus died for you. Faith is active and and working in you. i got to move on or I'm going to get in trouble. So we need to understand these three generations so I want us to see them they're found in uh, first in Judges chapter 2 verses 7 to 10 notice it tells us and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua this is generation number one that they are walking with the Lord with resurrected faith and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works that the Lord had done. And that generation, the second generation, was also gathered to their fathers. That means they died. And there arose another generation, a third generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So generation number one, with resurrected faith, Joshua and those who were of his age, that first generation, they were walking with Jesus and they experienced his presence and his power that delivered them from Egypt. They were slaves, powerless. They were beaten down. But God brought plagues upon Egypt so that he would work with a mighty hand to bring forth his deliverance. And the greatest one was that some of those first generation were the firstborn males. That on the night of the first Passover, they would have died and there would have been weeping in their home, except they took the blood of a lamb and put it on the door frames of their home so that death passed over them and they were alive and they joined the procession walking out of Egypt. They walked through the Dead sea, Red Sea and they saw on the other side that when Pharaoh and his armies came to attack them, guess who was greater? God drowned them in the sea. Their enemies were defeated. They went to Mount Sinai. They heard the Lord speak his word and his commandments to them. This is the first generation to really walk with God. It's Jesus who's leading them. But there's a second generation that's right there with them. The scripture says that they saw the works of the Lord. There are some people here today that are just like this generation, that they are living a spiritual life vicariously through others. They see what God is doing. They hear the testimonies. They know all the right answers, but they're not living it. They're not experiencing it and walking with Jesus. And that leads to a third generation, a generation that has no faith. 
we're going to look at this generation in, in a little bit more detail in just a little bit, but this no-faith generation is a generation that is blinded to the love of God. They can't see what Jesus does for people. His extravagant love that would go to extreme measures to rescue the powerless and that he came to rescue them. So we have three generations. I want you to just pause and think for a moment. Which chair are you sitting in? What generation would best describe you this morning? It's easy to think we are the, the uh, resurrected faith generation. That's how we think of Joshua. When, when we read Judges chapter 2, we see that verse 6 kind of sets the stage to show us how to get to know these first two generations in particular a little bit more better because it says that when Joshua dismissed the people, they all went back to their inheritance. Well, wh when did Joshua gather everybody together? That's the book of Joshua chapter 24. In Joshua 24, we've, <laughs> I've preached some of these sermons. I mean, hey, Choose you this day whom you will serve. That's where we're going with this one. You know, that's what Joshua says. It's the classic verse. And we like to think of Joshua as being right here, living faith, active, following in the footsteps of Jesus. But we're going to realize today that you can start out here. Well, I mean, we actually all start out here. We all have no faith. But we can be here, and it's so easy to slide over here because this chair is the most comfortable, the most relaxing. That's why I said dead faith blinds you to enjoy the good life. See how God has blessed you. See how God has poured out his love on you. And you just get comfortable and relaxed. And I missed for years how Joshua had made that change because he is saying some powerful things in Joshua 24. Look, look with me at, at what, what takes place there. Now, therefore, this is Joshua speaking. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in, in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Can I ask you, church, choose this day where you're going to sit. What generation are you going to be a part of? Where will you be? Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, that your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We, we see Joshua here speaking with resurrected faith, with a faith that is active, that he's declaring, we will serve the Lord. But this generation, as we see the story continue, knows all the right answers. Because they've seen it. So the people answer, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. We saw how he brought us out of Egypt. We saw what he did at the Red Sea. We experienced through you, Joshua, the goodness of God. We're not going to serve other gods. And yet, what did Joshua already tell them? Put the foreign gods that are among you away and choose to serve the Lord. They were, you know, they were spiritually ADHD. They were distracted easily 
okay? So we're going to serve the Lord, therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. They know the right answer. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. And they respond again in verse 21, the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord. And so what do they do? They take the foreign gods and they find a spot when Joshua releases them to go back to their homes. They find a spot and they dig up a hole and they put them in there, but X marks the spot. I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to be faithful to God as long as he continues to bless me, as long as there are no problems or difficulties in my life. But at the moment I hit a bump in the road, the moment God fails me, the moment he doesn't do for me what I saw him do for others, I know where my gods are. I know where to go when I need help. How many of us, I'll just use one illustration. How many of us, when we encounter financial difficulty, instead of trusting the Lord and continuing to be obedient in the giving of our tithes and offerings, knowing that he has been faithful to us, how many of us are quick to go into debt and stay in debt for a lifetime because we just go to MasterCard? We say we serve the master, but we've got another God called money that we can just swipe and buy and meet all of our needs. Who needs God to provide for us when all we have to do is slide a card through a little machine and we get what we want? We too have buried our gods and know where to find them when we need them. Believers today are sleepwalking through a pandemic of dead faith that threatens us all. So wake up, oh sleeper, wake up. Come on and wake up, oh sleeper, wake up. Rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be careful not to sleepwalk, learn to be wise. Ephesians 5, 14, 15, and 16. Did I tell you this has been around for a really long time? Some of you are going to have that song stuck in your head, and it'll be a reminder this afternoon to wake up. Realize we face a pandemic of dead faith. In Ephesians 5, Paul said, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days they are evil, the days they are evil. Come on, join me and sing this simple refrain. The days they are evil, the days they are evil. So wake up, oh sleeper, wake up. It's time for us to wake up to realize how easily we can fall asleep in this chair. We think we're here, but the heart is deceitfully wicked and can't know itself. We are blind to the spiritual realities. The, the no faith generation though comes next. I told you that, that, that we need to realize what happens with this generation, the grandkids, okay? So look back again at Judges chapter two, it tells us in verse 10 that there arose another generation after them 
who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the balls, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Come on now. This generation did not know the Lord or what he had done for Israel. I like to think that maybe Joshua was one of these first-generation, firstborn sons. That he lived and left Egypt because he and his family put the blood of the lamb on the lintel. And he's got a son right here in generation number two that saw what God had done. He's been told the story. He's, they've practiced the Passover year after year, and they're remembering Grandpa, my dad, this guy's dad, my daddy's alive and I'm alive because God spared daddy's life. But generation number three doesn't even know what the Lord did. That I wouldn't be sitting here, I wouldn't be alive today except that God spared grandpa's life. Come on. The dead faith and no faith generation don't experience his love because their focus and their emphasis is not to look to the Lord. When you are walking and living with resurrected faith, your eyes are on Jesus and you join him in what he is doing. But when you are sitting here, your eyes are on people and what God is doing for them. And when your eyes are on people and you're not looking to Jesus, that's when you tend to stumble and fall and make mistakes. And Well, this generation would say, you are a hypocrite. You say one thing, but you do another. And so this generation can't tell the difference between the real thing and the fake thing. Because they too are just looking at people and they look the same. And so they're blind to the love of Jesus. It all looks fake and phony. I'll just live my own life. You can tell me what you want, but there is no God. A God of love would not allow the things that I see. Come on now. What's going to bring a change? What's going to make the difference? Contend for the faith. Join in the battle, in the struggle to live what you believe. Now, we need to realize, and I, I'm sorry back there, I think I may have gone out of order, but you, 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 can, you can follow me here. We need to realize how easily Joshua slid from, over, from here to here. Because when you are engaged in a battle, it is hard work. You are up and moving, and Joshua and the people were coming into the promised land, and he had to go to war. He had to fight the fight. But when he's an old man, two times in the book of uh, Joshua, it tells us when he's an old man. In Joshua 13 and in Joshua 23, when he's an old man, what happens right after Joshua 23? He calls all the people together. So when Joshua, who dies at 110, 
He is calling them together soon before he dies. Choose whom you're going to serve. But he's gotten comfortable in his faith and he slid over here. How do we know that to be true? Because Joshua failed to do something that had been done for him. In Deuteronomy, we see how the Lord used Moses to lay his hands upon Joshua and anoint him for the ministry that God was calling him to, to lead the people into the promised land. The Lord, or Moses, summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Moses took from what was within him and imparted it to Joshua. The God who has been faithful to me will now be faithful to you. Do not be afraid. But guess what? When Joshua is the old man, he never imparts anything. Because when you have dead faith, you have nothing to give. Like begets like. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and you realize everything follows after its own kind. If you don't have resurrected faith today, you can't give resurrected faith just like Joshua couldn't. You see, because the first time it said when Joshua was an old man in Joshua 13, Joshua 14 comes along and said, there was this guy by the name of Caleb. I used to think Caleb and Joshua were peers like the same age, but there had to be at least 15 to 25 years between these two guys because he was only 80 years old when he says this, but he says, I am as strong now as when I left Egypt. Give me my possession. I want to inherit my land, what was promised to me. And Joshua says, okay, you go fight the fight. Joshua doesn't go with him, but he gives him permission to go and fight the battle because Joshua had gotten comfortable. The Lord never told Joshua to anoint Caleb as the next leader for Israel because throughout the book of Judges, there is no leader. Everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes for two reasons. First, I've already told you, Joshua himself had nothing to give. He was in the wrong chair at that moment. He was over here comfortable because he had grown tired in the fight. But secondly, the Lord was looking for another Yeshua, another Joshua named Jesus to come who would perfectly lead his people in truth. That's why this generation doesn't look to man. This generation with resurrected faith looks to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So what? That we might come to life, that we might live our lives through him with resurrection power. What was dead comes to life in Jesus' name. What's the hope for these two generations? The hope is that this generation with living faith, with their eyes on Jesus, sees what he's doing, and they don't just sit in their chair. They get up out of the chair. I'll take the chair with me. And they come and bring Jesus to others. They're not content to just sit but they are active to live what they believe, to, to take what God has promised them and to share it with others. They get, they, they, they get themselves in a position where the dead faith generation is no longer in the way. They will, con, they will come and they will sit with sinners. Just like Jesus was a friend of sinners, they will go hang out with some sinners. 
to make him known. And they will come and they will sit with the church folk and they will, they will talk with them and say, hey, don't you feel it deep within, a longing for more? It, it, don't, you, don't you think that, the, that your Christian faith should bring more joy, more peace, more contentment? Isn't there more to this than this? And they bring them to a place of life, contend for the faith, but contending is hard. You see, I wrote in my first book, the willingness to acknowledge that our faith is dead and in need of resurrection is not normal. We find it easier to, to pretend that everything is okay with a repeated charade. We deceive our hearts just as Jesus said, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. First assembly of God of Sardis. You think you're alive, but you've just got dead faith. I'm not living in you. Jesus wants to speak to the church today, a church that is ravaged by the pandemic of dead faith. Ecclesia cum. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Now come to life in Jesus' name. When Jesus returns, how many of you believe we're close to his return? I like to say it this way. It's never been laster than it is today. Time's always moving forward. These are the last days. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 18 about a persistent widow. Don't have time to tell you the whole story, but she uh, wanted justice for her cause. And uh, the unrighteous judge wouldn't give it to her. And Jesus ended the story after she was given justice because she just nagged and persisted and wouldn't give up. She was contending for the faith. Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Now, English translators leave out an important word, and I go into this in greater detail in my book. It leaves out the this, that faith, the little Greek word ho, the definite article. Jesus is not looking for a faith among many. He's looking for this kind of faith. He's looking for the faith that he entrusted once for all to the saints. Will he find that kind of faith? Will he find us? In a no-faith generation chair, will he find us in a dead-faith generation? Or will he find this, that faith of the resurrected faith, the faith that he gave, the faith that only he can restore and make alive in us? Will he find that when he returns? That's what Jesus is looking for. Will we be the people who says, yes, Lord, you will find in me the faith that you once gave, a living, active faith. My eyes are on the cross and the Savior who is not still hanging there lifeless, but who lives in me and I am alive by faith in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to go do what he would do. It's time to wake up, church. Get out of our chairs. Get out of our churches and go show the world the love of Jesus. You see, when something is dead within you, it is time to take action, to have it removed. Otherwise, you will die. It's a life or death choice, folks. Boy, that, that Pastor Greg, he's really passionate. He's really on fire about that. He, you know, that was a good word. I'm glad so-and-so got to hear that today. They needed it. Why? Because I'm sitting here looking at people. I'm not looking at myself. I'm looking at others. I see the fault. I see the... I see the speck in their eyes, but I'm blind to the two-by-four speck in my own, or, or two-by-four plank in my own eye. 
Jesus says, look at yourself. You have dead faith. When you realize something's dead with you, it's time to take action. Otherwise, you will die. What is dead can live again. Come on. Come on. What is dead can live again. If the worship team would come. Pastor Jordan shared it as he was preparing our hearts for communion. We sometimes, since we came to Jesus, still find ourselves so easily slipping and falling. I wish it were so. I wish with all my heart. I've written three books on resurrected faith, but guess what? Dead faith still tries to infect my heart. God first showed me this when I had been a pastor for over 20 years, active in the ministry. It's like, come on, I have dead faith? I want to sit in this chair and just say, no, Lord, I'm doing all the things you want me to do. I got all the right answers. But he showed me how dead my faith was. We all have those times. But Jesus does not come to condemn us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have life in his name. For he did not come to condemn the world. He didn't come to push you away. He didn't come to say you're unworthy. But like Pastor Jordan said, he says, I see the potential in you. I see that if my life, if my resurrection power can get a hold of your heart, nothing will be impossible. Come on, do you still believe that a God can do God-sized things? Guess what? He wants to do it in you. He wants to do it through you. He has no other hands, no other feet, no other voice to this world but yours. Jesus, quicken and make me alive again. As we come to these altars, I want to first speak to the no faith generation. You might be here this morning and mom and dad made you come and you hate them for it. I'll be so glad when I don't have to go to that church anymore. It is so boring. I don't know how anybody could think this is boring. I mean, but hey, <laughs> when, you, when you're not alive, when you're still dead in your sins, everything we do seems crazy. Like, uh, I forgot your name. <laughs> like, like Will said, yeah. <laughs> you know, what is this deer thing? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> you're here today with no faith Jesus came with nail scarred hands and he stands before you and says can you not see my love for you I died for you I proved my love while you're still my enemy while you still despise me while you think it's a dumb game I love you won't you come to me would you be willing to do the bravest thing that you could ever do? Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Greg, that's me. I need Jesus to be my Savior, my Lord. I, I realize I've been looking at people. I've been calling them hypocrites. I've been calling them names. I've been making fun of the church. But Jesus has shown me his love, and I want to come to the cross. Is there anybody today that you're brave enough 
to say yes, Jesus. What about the second chair? At one time or another, every one of us have found ourselves here. Is that where you've been living today? Is that where your experience is vicarious through others? Your eyes are on people. Oh, God has been so good. We had such a good service today. God was there, but you really didn't experience it. You didn't walk into it. You didn't press into it. you You come to church and you leave the very same way. Jesus comes to you not to condemn you, but to say, Ecclesia cum, church arise. Put your name in there. David arise. Julia arise. Joy arise. Stephanie arise. Tom arise. Whoever you are, he speaks to you. Get up, get out of that chair. Let life come into your heart and life again. Is there anybody today you're brave enough to say, yeah, I've been there. I've felt that. I know there's got to be more to this. Yes, their hands going up. You're not looking to me. You're looking to Jesus. Jesus changed my heart, changed my life. How about those of you who are here today and you say, Pastor Greg, I find myself, I know I struggle with sin from time to time, but I'm quick to repent. I, I I want to be faithful to the Lord. And you are living in that first generation resurrected faith. But it's easy to grow tired in the battle. It's easy to grow weary. Will said it. You came today and you need rest. You need strengthen because it's not by your strength. It's not by your energy. It's so easy to begin to do all the right things, but with the wrong power. We begin to do it in our own strength, in our own effort. And little by little, we deceive ourselves and we get tired and we move over into the wrong chair. Jesus wants to bring a change to that today before you get comfortable in religious activity and get into the wrong chair. He wants to give you rest. He wants to speak life and say, now I'm going to send you not in your own power, not in your own strength, but I'm going to give you my wisdom. I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to put my life in you so that everything you do, you do with the energy of the cross. If that's you this morning and you say, yeah, I just want more of Jesus in my life. I need him to quicken my heart and make me alive. Then I want to go in his power. Yeah, hands are going up. Would you stand? If you responded in any of those three ways, I just want to invite you right now to begin to make your way here to these altars so that we can pray. That this is a time for you to just look to Jesus and say, Lord, here I am. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, we got one that's brave enough to go beyond raising a hand and say, yeah, I'll come. Will you get up out of your seat and come to the altar and just spend a few moments with Jesus? Lord and Father, thank you for your grace and your love. Jesus, you are slow to anger. You are a God of mercy and grace and love. So Lord, for that one that's here today that is still waiting to respond, to get out of the dead or no faith chair, to get out of that place of denying you, of making fun of you and other Christians. Lord, for that one today, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to soften their heart. You, Lord, can take the heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh again. 
you can transform them. Do that miracle in their life right now. Bring a sensitivity to their spirit to know that this is real, that this is not something just made up. This isn't just an act. Lord, work your salvation. Lord, for those of us today who've been honest enough to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm living with dead faith. I, I keep going and stumbling over the same sin. I keep falling. I keep coming up short. I keep blaming myself. But, but I know all the right answers. I, I, I try to put away the false gods. I try to bury those things. I try to do away with them. But I'm doing it in my own strength. I'm doing, I confess, Lord, my need for you. Jesus, speak to my life today. Ecclesia cum, little one, arise. Bring life to your church, Lord. May what was dead come alive again in Jesus' name. And Lord, for your church that has resurrection power within it, that first generation chair, Lord, forgive us when we begin to do the right things with the wrong motive, with the wrong power. Help us, Lord, to continue to rely upon you. Give rest to those who are weary. Strengthen our feeble hands, Lord, that you would be lifted up, not with the energy of man, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead will be lifting up Jesus in our community, in our church, in our workplace, in our schools. Let the resurrection power of Jesus flow in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I just felt it as we were singing it earlier, and those who would like prayer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down and begin to just pray. But, Will, would you close us out with that song of praise and declaration, He is Lord of all generations. You may run from here today and still stay in, in a place of no faith. You may go from here today and not want to acknowledge your comfort of dead faith, but he's still Lord over you. And he will turn praise. I forget exactly how it goes, but he will turn praise into a river of revival. There will be an awakening in you because you can't run and hide from him. He is Lord over you. God bless you. Thank you. Darkness runs for cover When you move No heart turned away Cause where you are Fear turns into praise Where you are, no hearts left unchecked. So come, move, let justice roll on like a river. Let worship turn into revival. So come, move, let justice roll on like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lead us back to you. 
sing King of all. The King of all generations, let every tongue and nation surrender all to you alone. as we close out, just remember as you leave this place that the prayer team you can either come up front here or there's members of our own church body that are on the, the sides here that would love to, to pray with you. But be blessed today knowing that he's a God who can, we can build faith out of nothing because of what he's done when we believe on him. And we could build that faith and pass it on to every generation that comes after us. Amen. So church, you are dismissed. But as we minister at the altars, just ask that you would uh, make your way. If you're going to visit out to the foyer and the ministry is going to continue to happen in here. But you are dismissed. <laughs>